being a father today is not easy. There's a lot of pressure on dads to be in the delivery room. I'm not discounting the importance of being involved in that way because I certainly wanted to be there. I just wasn't sure how I would handle it. I think my dad had it easier in the 60s when he just paced the floor waiting for the news. So when our first daughter Emily was born, I was totally into the Lamaze training. Beth and I took classes together and I had my roll down cold. I did pretty well in the delivery room until the room started spinning around. And the nurse had to leave Beth's side and find me a place to sit down. Now, I don't understand why women say giving birth is hard. It's pretty tough on us dads, too. So when we were expecting our second daughter, Lydia, I took a much more laid-back approach. No birthing classes for me. I mean, I knew what to do. It's no big deal. When Beth went into labor, I just called her a cab so I could go back to sleep. Just kidding. <laughs> so when we got to the hospital, they put Beth in this very comfortable bed while I sat next to her on this hard, uncomfortable chair. See, it's hard on us dads, isn't it? I looked around for the remote, <laughs> and I started channel surfing. And I'll never forget what happened next. You know, it's kind of hard to watch a show because I had to keep turning the volume up every few minutes when she had contractions. No. But here's the true part of that story. She grabbed my hand and she said, give me that remote. You know, there's nothing like the birth of a baby. And I will forever remember the births of each of our four daughters, though I hope Beth forgets how I acted in the delivery room. By the way, there's a baby boom going on at Edgewood right now. A couple weeks ago, we had five baby dedications in one service, and I thought it'd be helpful for us as we give glory to God what God has been doing in our Edge Kids ministry just since January. So during the nine o'clock hour last weekend, there were 24 babies in the nursery. 26 preschoolers during the nine o'clock hour learned about Jesus from the Gospels. 43 older children were ministered to in Sunday school. During this hour, 1045, a couple weeks ago, our nursery servants loved on 19 babies. That's like a total of over 40 babies in the nursery. Last Sunday, 23 preschoolers heard about God's creation. Two weeks ago, over 30 elementary age kids learned about resilience. Now, due to this explosion of growth, we are seeking additional people who are willing to pour into the next generation. This is a great way to support, to partner with, and resource parents as they fulfill their primary responsibility from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to disciple their children. And if you want to be involved in a ministry that matters 
And in the process, get to know a number of other servants. Would you just simply fill out a next steps card? Here's a picture of it. It's in front of you. In one of, and then fill that out and just put it in one of the offering boxes after the service. We also have openings for Super Summer Slam in July and Awana beginning in September. Now, let me be quick to say, we're, we're not into using guilt to motivate whether that's your giving or your serving. No, we're not into that. But I do want you to know that I'm hoping for 10 new servants to sign up this weekend. We want to be awe-inspired, not guilt-induced in our serving. And we are a church family and we have a huge need right now, and it's a tremendous opportunity to come alongside our younger families. We require everyone who serves with children and students to go through an application process that includes a background check and online child protection training. Now, I want to publicly thank Sheila Kershack. She's our children's ministry director. When you see Sheila today, thank her. I also want to thank Susie Crosby. She's been our nursery director for the past seven years. And after loving on babies and building a team of servants, Susie will be transitioning early next month. So she graciously continued to serve even while she had said that she wants to step away. She did that role like a year and a half after letting us know she was ready to move on to something else. We're so grateful for her ministry. Susie's serving down in the nursery right now. If you have time after the service, go down and say thanks to her or send her a note this week. So we've taken the nursery position, we've expanded that position to now include early childhood, and I'm pleased to announce that Liesl Parks will begin as our new early childhood coordinator beginning June 5th. Now, we're continuing in our series, and we're calling it simply R-E-R-E. Last weekend, we were challenged to resolve to live convictionally without compromise. We were in the book of Daniel chapter 1. Let me summarize what we learned together last week. Number one, build your convictions on God's word. Number two, behave respectfully toward others. And number three, believe that God will make a way. The end of most sermons, we focus on some action steps, and so I'm going to rehearse those at well and simply ask this question, how well did you do at putting those action steps into practice? Number one, cultivate your convictions ahead of time. Number two, expect incessant opposition from our ungodly world. And number three, draw a line in your soul. This is what I believe. This is why I believe it. Because of what I believe the Bible to say, I will not do that, and I will do this. Well, in reflecting on last week's message, I'm led today to add one more biblical conviction. 
We're reminded from Genesis 1.27 that everyone is created in the image of God, and therefore everyone has great worth, great value, great dignity. We read, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So physical differences, racial background, ethnic distinctions are secondary to being made in the image of God. Church, settle this. James chapter 3 prohibits all prejudice, especially in the church. The gospel is the answer to racism, and we must stand against that sin in every form. The insidious evil exhibited just last Saturday in Buffalo when a white man targeted and intentionally murdered 10 black people is abhorrent. Last Sunday morning, while we were worshiping here in California, there was a church shooting motivated by hatred for Taiwanese people. This week in Dallas, Dallas police arrested a suspect in an attack on three women of Korean descent. So let's settle this. We gather together no matter our skin color or background. We grow together because we cannot grow alone. We give to each other because of what we've been given, and we go with the gospel to all people, even if they are different from us. Why? Because as Ephesians chapter 2 teaches, the dividing wall of hostility between the races has been knocked down by the gospel. Now here's the bottom line. Grace must affect how we look at race. Well, today, We're going to look at what Jesus said about another kind of birth. Our topic is rebirth, which is defined as being born again from above, having a new or a second birth. Let's do a brief survey of how this term is found in several passages of Scripture. Book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Same chapter, verse 23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Uh, Here's what counts, a new creation. Titus chapter 3 verse 5, he saved us not because of works we have done, by uh, works done by us in righteousness. No, we're saved according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And 1 John 5 verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And then the text, our anchor text today, John chapter 3, verse 3, words of Jesus. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom 
of God. I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use your mobile device. There are Bibles in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible as our gift to you. I'm going to be adapting and expanding another pastor's outline to help us catch the flow of this conversation. Because here's the main point. You're not in until you are born again. Let's look first at a seeker's worry. I'm in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, we're given his name, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. If you go back a chapter, we read that many were starting to put their faith, even though it was limited faith and not saving faith, they were starting to be really impressed with Jesus. In chapter 2, he turned water into wine. In chapter 2, he cleared out the temple. Among those who were really impressed by that was a man named Nicodemus. We know some things about him. First of all, he's a Pharisee. When we hear the word Pharisee, we tend to think negative, legalist. But in the first century, the Pharisees were widely respected. They had intense piety, deep scholarship. They had taken a solemn vow to devote their entire life to the keeping of the Ten Commandments. They studied diligently. They prayed two hours a day. They strived to live their lives separated from sin. Those were the Pharisees. They even gave 10% of everything they owned. However, the Pharisees made a couple basic and very tragic errors. Number one, they externalized their religion. They focused on the outward part of how they were living. And secondly, they believed that if they just worked hard enough, they could make their way to heaven. I wonder if some of you are on that road today. Number two, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was called a ruler of the Jews. That word means chief authority. So he's part of this 70-member Jewish ruling council. It's like the Supreme Court. They were called the Sanhedrin. I was trying to think, how does that relate in our culture? It would be like a college professor, a judge on the Supreme Court, a United States senator, and a bishop in the church all rolled into one person. Number three, if you look over at verse 10, we learn that he was a highly regarded teacher. It says about Nicodemus that he was the teacher in Israel. Ah, so here's this guy at the top, religiously, morally, socially, politically. And yet, something was missing. Something was missing in his soul. Incidentally, the most difficult people to reach with the gospel are not those who are rebellious. Nah, it's those who are religious because they think they're good to go. They point to all their external practices. They think they're already in, but settle this. You're not in until you're born again. Look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Since he came to Jesus after dark, we could call him Nick at night. Yeah, that didn't work the other two services either. But but why did he come at night? I think of a couple reasons. One, Jesus was controversial, and he's like, I don't want to be associated with him. What will my buddies think? 
I think there's another reason. He knew he's doing all these things, but there was emptiness in his soul. He knew things weren't right inside. And because Jesus was popular, he thought, if I can get alone with him at night, I can have a long, extended, private discussion. Think about it. He risked his own position to come to Jesus. It speaks of his personal need and his worry that things are not right with his soul. That word night might also be a symbol of his own spiritual condition because at this point, he is still in the dark spiritually. Would you know what he called him? Rabbi. Even though Jesus did not attend an approved school for rabbis. The title rabbi means the great one, the master instructor. Nick also stated these words. We know you are a teacher come from God. That's an emphatic statement in Greek. It's high praise coming from someone like Nicodemus who's at the top and he says those words about Jesus. Well, let's look next at what Jesus says to him. This brings us to the answer Jesus gave to this cultured, highly respected, educated, religious leader who's filled with worry. Would you observe his response is Well, it's rather abrupt, and it really doesn't come in response to a stated question. Nicodemus isn't asking a question at this point, at least out loud. But it was the question Jesus was asking in his heart. Ah, that leads us to verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus elevated the importance of what he's about to say. Would you notice by repeating two words, truly, truly. That means most assuredly. So be it. This expression is like an exclamation point or many exclamation points. These two words are used together 24 times in John's gospel alone. It was the way Jesus introduced something shocking, something spectacular, something monumental, something incredibly profound that he didn't want his listeners to miss. In the original, the word is amen or amen, which is a word of finality, Revelation 3.14, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. The phrase born again means again and above. This double meaning shows Nicodemus must be reborn from above. Oh, and would you observe the word unless? That signals a necessary condition. It's An imperative. It's a command revealing, well, there are no other options. The only way to see and experience the kingdom of God is by being born again from above. Now, despite all his learning, Nicodemus was baffled by this thought. Instead of reforming himself or becoming more religious, which was kind of the path he was on, Jesus said, You need to be reborn. And in this one sentence, the Savior swept away everything this religious guy stood for. You see, as a Jew, he thought he was already in. As a faithful 
Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the top leader in the land. I mean, he's good to go, right? Wrong. Jesus made it clear to Nicodemus, as he does to each of us, you're not in until you are born again. As someone has said, religious people often struggle with three R's. The first R is rote. Just going through the motions. Been doing it for a while. You know the gig. You know what to do. You're just going through the motions. Well, that rote can lead to a rut where you're just, you're not going anywhere. You're in a rut. You have this like spiritual inertia, which leads to rot. You see, if something doesn't change, the soul starts to decay. Maybe if you're honest, you'd say, that's me. I've just been doing this rotely. I'm in a rut. I'm not going anywhere. I can't get on top of my sins, my anger, all the sins that I have going on, and I feel like things are rotting inside. Does that describe you today? Has your rote religion put you in a rut, which is leading to rot in your soul? Being good is never good enough because it's not about religion. It's about rebirth. Well, in verse 4, Nick is ready to head back to the delivery room. Look, at he, he takes Jesus literally. Nicodemus said to him, uh, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, he totally missed the point. Jesus was not talking about a second physical birth. No, Jesus was talking about a completely different kind of birth, a spiritual birth. See, your physical birth introduces you to the physical world, but if you want to enter the kingdom of God, the world of spiritual reality or ultimate reality, you need a spiritual birth. That leads then, number three, to the Spirit's work. Notice how Jesus answered now. This time, he is asking a couple questions, right? Verse five, Jesus answered. Oh, there it is again. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now he uses two very strong words, unless and cannot, to show there is no other way. And this is often how Jesus taught, Luke 13, 3, but unless... You repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, there's been some differences of opinion among commentators. What does this mean? Well, some think water refers to our physical birth because, well, after all, we were swimming around in water for nine months before birth, and then the being born of the Spirit refers to our spiritual birth. Others think this verse refers to baptism. But the water Jesus speaks of here symbolizes the cleansing that comes from the Holy Spirit. No, I believe Jesus had something else in mind. Ah, he had the book of Ezekiel in mind. Ezekiel chapter 36, a passage Nicodemus would have known, well, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll put my spirit within you. My guess is some of you have tried to clean yourself up on your own. It usually doesn't work. 
Whatever change happens, it usually doesn't last. You see, our fallen flesh cannot achieve lasting fruit. It's only the Holy Spirit who can affect permanent life change. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about religion because none of that can give you a clean heart. None of that can give you a new spirit. Now, to make sure Nick doesn't misunderstand the truth, let's drill into verse 7. It's like another exclamation point. Do not marvel. I wonder if, at this point, if Nicodemus kind of has his mouth open like, what? So Jesus says, Nicodemus, don't marvel that I said to you, here it is again, you must be born again. No doubt he was astonished. And so Jesus used the phrase, you must be. This is a strong imperative. It's universally binding and absolutely necessary. They settle this. The new birth is not optional for any of us. It's not like, well, there are some Christians who are really into that Jesus stuff. They're the born-again ones, and I'm over here. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fanatical like that. No, listen, if you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. Jesus didn't say, I recommend you be born again. He didn't say you should be born again. If after investigation, it seems to meet your needs. He didn't even say, I think it'd be a good idea for you to try this out and see how it goes. No, he didn't say that. He used urgent language with a very forceful command. You must be born again. Oh, let me point out one other thing. Do not marvel that I said to you, that's first person, he's referring to Nicodemus, but the second you is plural. He's referring to everyone must be born again. Oh, let me remind you, he spoke these words not to some immoral outcast from society, but to one of the most religious men of his day. By all human standards, Nicodemus was a very good guy, certainly a man you and I would admire for his intense devotion to God. But Jesus said to him, you must be born again. So if he needed to be born again, what about you? What about me? Do any of you have the religious pedigree Nicodemus had? I doubt it. See, the truth is that we are much less religious than Nicodemus was. And if he needed to be born again, then we surely do as well. Here's a question. And we just lay it out there and see what God does with this question in your own heart and soul. Have you ever been born again? I'm going to circle back to that at the end of the message and give you an opportunity to be born again today. Now, just in case I haven't made myself clear, I'm not asking about membership. I'm not asking about whether you're baptized. I'm not asking about your giving or whether you attend special events, whether you do good works. I'm not asking about your personal morality. Nicodemus had all those things down cold. Jesus said to him, you must be born again because you're not in until you're born again. If you want to go to heaven, that's the only way to go. 
You must be born again. If you're not, you won't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was a good man who knew about God, but he didn't know God personally. And his search reminds us that being good is never good enough because it's not about systems. It's all about the Spirit. Now, all of this is a bit mysterious, isn't it? I mean, how does this actually work? I mean, how is somebody born again? How does someone get saved? These are like synonyms. How are they converted? How does it happen? Well, we're given a clue, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. In Greek, the word wind and spirit come from the same word. I enjoy going on long bike rides on Mondays when I'm off if the weather's nice. Well, this past Monday, uh, we live in Moline, so I got on my bike, went down a big hill to Ben Butterworth, and sometimes I go to the right, and sometimes I go to the left on the bike path. Well, today I decided to go to, or that day, go to the left and catch the new I-74 bike path to go over the bridge. I had not been over there yet. So I Hung a left, went on the bike path, made my way up the bike path over the bridge, came down, worked my way. It's not easy to get to the bike path in Davenport yet, but I worked my way there. So I was on that part of the path. Then I crossed the Arsenal Bridge, came back on the bike path, made my way back to Ben Butterworth, and then back home. So I'm going all different directions. And wouldn't you know it, no matter what direction I went, the wind was in my face. (laughs) Some of you ride bikes. It's like, where's that? How does that happen? I'm going north, and it's in my face. I'm going south, it's in my face. West, east, it's there. And it was frustrating because I'm like, ah, oh, I'm just, I'm pedaling hard. I'm kind of puffing. And I start looking around, and I'm like, where's the wind? Where's it coming from? Like, where is it going? I had no idea. Here's why. I couldn't see the wind. Ah, but I could see the effects of the wind as the river starting to churn up right before whitecaps come on it. I could hear the wind whistling through my helmet. I could see leaves in the tree. We could, I could see the effects of the wind, but I could not see the wind. Friend, in a similar way, the Holy Spirit blows where he wishes, causing some to be born again. We can't see him, but we can sure see his impact. Now, I want to pause here, and perhaps in this service you've heard more details than I have, so I apologize in advance, but before the first service today, um, I saw a news story on KWQC that there was a car, an SUV, that got on the bike path on I-74 at 2 o'clock this morning and plowed into three people who were seriously injured. And I I just want to pause here and lead us in prayer. God, I, I know we don't have all the details, but you do. But Lord, we know that these lives matter. And we want to pray for these individuals who were struck by the vehicle. Lord, we pray thanking you for first responders who jumped on the scene and gave initial treatment. Lord, we pray now for doctors, nurses, technicians, specialists as they work. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would save these lives, that you'd preserve them, that you'd bring healing to them. 
Lord, we pray for extended family members who no doubt are hurting. Perhaps some of us will find out, even know some people. And Lord, we pray that you would work your way and your will for your glory. And we pray that you would use this for gospel proclamation. And Lord, we can't even imagine what the driver of that vehicle must be feeling today. Lord, we pray for grace, for mercy. Uh, Lord, we pray ultimately, Jesus, that you would bring believers around this situation, ministering your grace, ministering the gospel in the name of your Son. And Lord, use this in our whole community. May we come around uh, those who are hurting today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In a meal last week with the missions committee, Paul and Roxanne Wilson, who we, were, we interviewed last weekend, uh, they serve in Mexico, and they shared what God is doing in the country of Mexico, and they were sharing how God is sending revival to the church in Mexico. People are getting saved. Many believers are being mobilized for missions. These are Mexicans being mobilized to take the gospel to other countries, and Paul and Roxanne get to watch that and be part of that. Well, I couldn't wait to raise my hand, but I didn't want to interrupt him. But when he was done, I just shot my hand up. And I said, Paul, what's going on? Like, are there some factors? Are there some initiatives that are happening that's contributing to this? He simply shrugged his shoulders. And I didn't write down what he said, but he said something like this. I can only explain it as the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we need revival. We need the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through our crusty and dusty hearts that we'd stop being passive and becoming so friendly with sin and compromise that we'd live all out for Christ and that God would revive this church and every church in our community and our country and the world. Friends, we represent the hope of the world, which is Jesus. And if Christians aren't living for Christ, what kind of message are we offering? And so let's pray as the psalmist said, Lord, would you revive us again that we might rejoice in you. And I just went to preaching there, didn't I? But I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself. Don't be settled. Don't be a settler for where you are spiritually. Say, God, what's my next step? And how can I be all in for you? Number four, the sinner's welcome. Here's how some of us think. If I just find the right boyfriend, the right girlfriend, then I'll be happy. If I just get the right house, bigger house, next possession, well, that'll satisfy me. If I just have this next experience, this next vacation, that will satisfy me. And then, then I'll really be good and things will be great. Uh, some of you've tried that and you're like, uh-uh, doesn't work. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Listen, we don't need to try a new principle, a new person, a new principle, a new possession. What you need to do is to trust in a person with a capital P, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, drop down to some very familiar words, but before you do, recognize the tendency you may have, because I have it too. I want us to look at John 3.16. Here's our tendency, like, oh yeah, I know that verse. And then we tune out. Now, don't do that. The reason it's one of the most popular verses is because it is rich. It is filled with just this beautiful truth. This verse starts with what God does and ends with what we must do. Let me remind you of the context. This is Nicodemus in his conversation with Jesus at night. Same chapter, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse starts with God, and then it ends with what you and I must do. Notice first, God loves. I really like that little word, so. For God so loved. It's as if God took the volume button on love and he cranked it up high. It's not just that he loved, he so loved. That word love is the word agape. It means an unconditional covenant kind of love. Oh, it's also a verb, meaning it's a word of action. Now today, you might not feel loved by others. Maybe you struggle even loving yourself because you know how dark your soul is. Friends, God loves you more than you can even imagine. You matter to the majesty. He takes great delight in you. Zephaniah 3.17, when he thinks of you, he breaks out into song. No matter what you have done, he loves you no matter how you've been living. He treasures you in spite of all your transgressions. Secondly, that love leads to an action God lavishes. Notice, because of that love, he gave That word gave is a word of sacrifice. And then, thirdly, we lean. See, it's helpful to know God loves me and God lavishes that love on me. If we just leave it there, that's not enough. That's just like, oh, that's cool, that's neat. We might even feel good about that. But notice, we're called to believe in him, to lean on him. Oh, see this, God loves everyone That's the whole world, but God loves whoever, and that's you. That's you individually. He loves everyone and everyone individually, whoever believes. He loves the whole mass of people, and he loves me in my mess. Being good is not good enough because no one is good enough. So the issue is not right behavior. The issue is right belief, believing in Christ. And then we live. I love how the verse ends. Should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, would you observe this is the only negative aspect of this verse? The word perish, should not perish perish. The word perish means to be eternally separated from God. Another word for this is hell. 
which is a real place of eternal and conscious judgment described as a place of darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, eternal fire, and torment. That's how Jesus described it. Ah, but notice the word but should not perish, but have eternal life. You don't have to go there. We don't have to perish. So the word believe means to cling to, to rely on, to trust in Christ so completely that you cast all you are and all that you have and all you hope to become on Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, as your forgiver and your leader. Now, not only do we sometimes tune out John 3.16, but often we stop there. I invite you to move ahead two verses. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Oh, it doesn't end there. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There's two surprising truths in these two verses. (laughs) Here's the first. It's such good news. If you believe in Christ, you will not be condemned. Jesus was sent on a search and save mission. He didn't come to condemn. He came to convert sinners. But don't leave the second part off. If you don't believe, you're condemned already. In other words, you might want to lean in here. If you choose to not be born again, you are condemned right now, and you will be condemned in hell forever. You're like, those are strong words, Pastor. It's what Jesus said. Let me say it like this. If you choose not to believe, you're already condemned. See, most of us think this way, that people who do really, really, really bad things end up going to hell, and I'm not like them. I'm somewhere this side of that, so I'm good to go, or I hope I'm good to go. I'll sprinkle in some good works, some good behavior. I'll go to church once in a while. That certainly, surely that will get me in. Now, let me say the gospel truth, and I'm going to repeat the sentence. If you do nothing and never believe in Christ, you will end up in hell. Because that's where we're all headed unless we're born again from above. If you do nothing and never believe in Christ, you will end up in hell. Because that's where we're all headed unless we're born again from above. God loves. He lavishes. Friend, make sure you lean on him so you can really live. I like what the theologian J.C. Ryle once said. Life is short and it's uncertain. Death is sure. Judgment is inevitable. 
Sin is exceedingly sinful, and hell is a dreadful reality. But I'm so glad he added number six. Christ alone can save you. On Wednesday of this week, Taylor Swift received an honorary doctorate from New York University. And she was asked to give the commencement speech. Here's part of what she said, quote, I know it can be really overwhelming figuring out who to be and when, who you are now and how to act in order to get where you want to go. I have some good news. It's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. Now, I'm certain I've never quoted Ray Pritchard and Taylor Swift back to back. In fact, I don't think I've ever quoted Taylor Swift before. But the reason I did is that's how many of us think. Listen to Ray's corrective. Don't get confused about your part in salvation. You provide the sin. Jesus provides everything else. So let me say it again, just in case you missed it today. You must be born again. Isaiah 45, 22, listen to God's heart here. He says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. If you look at the very last verse, John 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, comma, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 20, 31, by believing you may have life in his name. In the margin of the Bible that Martin Luther translated into German, he wrote these words. Perhaps you've heard them. Born once, die twice. Born twice, physical birth, spiritual birth, die once. You know, I first came across this verse, John 3, 3, when I was in college and sitting in a Bible study. I ended up in this Bible study after my college roommate had the courage to tell me he didn't think I was a Christian. Well, after I blew up at him and cussed him out, I realized he was right. And so I realized that as I'm sitting here in this study, that I was uncomfortable, I'm surrounded by guys with open Bibles on their laps, I'm using a borrowed Bible, but there was a part of me that I knew I had rot in my soul. And so I'm listening, I'm trying to understand, I'm uncomfortable at the same time, and that might be some of you. You're like, in church today, you're like, this is weird, but God's drawing me. And so I'm sitting there, and they're reading it, and we come across verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In the Bible I'm using had the words in red. And I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I knew if it's in red, it's important. And I know every word's important. That got my attention. I turned to these guys and I said, time out. What does that mean? Because I knew I wasn't. Whatever born again meant, I wasn't that. And that meant I was not going to go to heaven. These guys spent the rest of that time 
going through John chapter 3, much like we just went through today. They helped me see that just as I had a physical birth, which gave me physical life, so too I needed a spiritual birth in order to have eternal life. They helped me see that I was not in until I was born again. After that Bible study, I went back to my dorm room. I finished reading the entire Gospel of John. And then I closed my eyes and I prayed, which was perhaps the first prayer I'd ever prayed from my heart. I knew a bunch of memorized ones. And I leaned into the Lord and asked him to be my Savior and my Lord. See, I finally understood that God loves, he lavishes, but I must lean, and only then can I live. And God, by his grace, as his spirit blew into my life, saved me on October 3rd, 1979. I was finally in because I was born again. I wonder, are you ready right now to enter the kingdom of God through the new birth. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. Uh, Those of us who are Christ followers, you pray for others around you who have not yet made this decision. Uh, And let's, uh, I'm going to lead in prayer. You just pray along quietly if you've not done this before, if this is where you're at. God, I don't really get how you can love me when I feel like such a loser most of the time. God, I don't understand how you can accept me. I know I don't measure up. But I'm beginning to understand (coughs) that you love me so lavishly that you sent your son Jesus to die in my place as my substitute, paying the price for all of my sins on the cross. I confess that I am a sinner and I repent I turn from how I've been living. I need you. I desperately need you to save me from my sins. For you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I desire to live under your lordship for the rest of my life. So thank you for not only being born, but for dying in my place and rising again so I can be born again. Save me. Come into my life. I receive you. I want to be born again right now. And so I receive you by faith so I can live with you forever. Oh, and if there's anything in my life that you don't like, get rid of it. Make me into the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today and you would have the courage just to lift your hand up so we can rejoice with you, would you? Okay, someone right over here on the left, fantastic. Uh, Yeah, praise God. Wait, that's your son who just got baptized. Grandson, your son right behind you. Well, congratulations, that's fantastic. So if you just trusted Christ, may I be the first to enter the delivery room and wish you happy birthday? Yes. Now, you may be wondering, what do you do as a new Christian? Well, there are some steps we can help you with that. But I thought, well, I just look up what happened with Nicodemus after John chapter 3. Do we see him again? Yes, we do. John chapter 7, he stood up for Christ. He publicly identified himself with 
Jesus. People had turned on Jesus. Here's what Nicodemus said, verse 52 of John 7. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? The second thing we see from Nicodemus is that he served Jesus. So here's a challenge for all of us. Stand up for Christ this week and serve him with all that you have. In John 19, 39, after Jesus died, it was Nicodemus who helped Joseph of Arimathea with the burial arrangements for Jesus. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Now, here's how we're going to end today. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to just mention a couple things before I do that. First of all, one of our young adults will be commissioned next weekend for a short-term trip, and she's going to a country where she plans to live full-time. So she's going to go soon in order to kind of get her bearings, and we deliberately don't use her name because of where she's going, because of the danger that would be for her. But she'll be right out these doors at the table. Would you stop by and just encourage her? Maybe take a prayer card. Um, That would be great. Secondly, on Friday, 30 people from Edgewood are leaving for Israel. And I want to spend time praying for them as we leave today. I want to pray that this becomes a significant time, like a spiritual retreat, not just a vacation, not just tourism. The third thing, uh, well, it's an assignment, really. After I'm finished praying, uh, instead of just heading for the doors or turning and talking to the person you came with or the friend you see, spend the first five minutes talking to someone you don't know and just introduce yourself. It'll be a little awkward at the beginning, but you can go beyond that because we want to make sure we're connecting with one another. Okay, with all that, would you stand and let's pray. God, we thank you for what you taught us here today. Lord, thank you for uh, this young woman getting ready to go. We continue to pray that you would provide her financial support. Thank you for so many who've come alongside of her. Uh, Lord, we also want to pray for those who are going to Israel. Uh, All the details, all the nervousness, all all that that involves, Lord, we pray that all those details would be processed well And Lord, that this would be a time of accelerated spiritual growth, especially for the four or five young people who will be going on the trip as well. Uh, Lord, also now make us a church communicating the gospel to those around us, living in community with one another as we offer the word of life to those we come in contact with this week. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Have a good rest of the day.